It's good to be with you again. I hope, I hope it's okay for you guys to have me here again. Um, and uh, I, it, uh, happy Father's Day, by the way, to all you fathers. Um, all right, well, today we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. And so if you've got a Bible, you want to turn to Mark 9. We're going to look at verses 30 through 50. It's a long, long passage. And of course, Ronnie gives me way more than is actually possible to preach on. So I'm going to do my best. Um, I'm going to do my best really just to get straight to the heart of what's going on in this passage and what the disciples are talking about um, and what Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples. And that's this hard lesson that probably, I'm guessing, I could pretty much accurately say nobody in here understands. Um, It's this lesson on becoming last. Not first, not the best, not the mightiest, not strongest. Basically the opposite of what all of the books and all of the culture and everything tells us to be. Um, That is to become last. So let's read this passage and kind of have that lens on of what it means to become last. Um, So if you got your Bible open, we're going to read verses, uh, chapter 9, verses 30 through 50. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the and taking him in his arms, and he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward." Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to, if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame Two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if its salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. 
Uh, God, we come before you and we ask that you might move in this time. May, your, may the study of your word produce great fruit of transformation in our lives, Lord, and may we learn the great lesson that you are trying to teach your disciples here of what it means to become last. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in uh, 1994, I remember uh, watching, just being glued to the television and watching the uh, USA soccer play in the World Cup, and it was incredible, um, because I I know most of you are sheltered and brainwashed in realizing what the rest of the world already knows, that soccer is an incredible sport. Um, It's not... It's not like un-American and evil, all right? I know that you might be thinking that, but hear me out anyway. It's a good illustration. But I'm watching this and um, just worshiping uh, these guys that are playing soccer, watching Kobe Jones and Alexi Lawless, these guys you probably have no clue about because you, you just don't know what the world knows, that soccer's awesome, right? But uh, I'm watching and thinking, I want to be on that team someday. And as a, as a, as a teenager watching this, just um, thinking, I'm going to sell out and just go all out for soccer. And so um, I was young, and I thought that soccer was going to be everything for me. And so I was, um, at that point, one of the top 10, the, the Columbus Dispatch named me one of the top 10 soccer players in Columbus area. So I've got a big head very big ego, and I think I am the man. And I um, am playing for this select soccer team, this small special soccer team that traveled around and played. And uh, we had tryouts every year, but of course I'm going to make it because I'm the top 10 best soccer player in Columbus. And so I feel great about myself. And uh, we have the tryouts this one year, and my tryouts actually were pretty terrible. But I was for sure thinking that I was a shoe-in. And so the list goes up on the wall. You know the list of shame? Uh, they don't do that anymore because kids' self-esteem is just so weak. But back then, it was like, let's plaster this up on the wall and let everybody see. And of course, I just walked by and just make sure my name's on the list, knew it was, but look, and didn't see my name on the list. And I couldn't believe it. I just got cut from the soccer team. So, of course, I do what every great teenage kid does, and I go to the coach and whine and complain about how um, this is unfair, and he knew I was a good player, why is I getting cut, and he uh, tells me that my tryouts were horrible, and there's always next year. And so I uh, am in shock and can't believe it, and I'm going to my parents, and I'm crying to them, and so my parents decide... Um, that they're going to do the next best thing for me and sign me up for rec league, the regular kids league. And this is so low for me um, because I was on track to be on the USA team and having the the rec team on my resume just did not look good. Um, So I begrudgingly went and played with the regular kids, you know, wearing the of the nice jersey that I used to wear. Um, And so I'm playing on this team and loved it. It was a life-changing year for me of of playing soccer because it's something I, the competitive edge was kind of toned down and actually enjoying soccer was so good. So I'm playing on this team and and the regular kids team and I'm loving soccer and I'm just really enjoying this, this time and it surprised me. It surprised my family and everything. But the next year came around. And 
uh, most of the kids that played on this special team decided to come back and play high school soccer um, on, the, on the high school team. And, and so most of the kids were all back together again. We're playing in the first game, and we're playing our rivals at this point. And I'm, I'm super stoked. I get to start the game, and I look, and I see, oh, great, the coach, the old coach is there. He's going to watch me play. And of course, we're playing the rivals, so we're all amped up and ready to go. And uh, we ended up winning the game three to one. And guess who scored all three goals? Yours truly. This is, this is a lesson in humility, trust me. <laughs> and so I feel great because coach comes up to me afterwards. He's shaking his head and he said the, 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 the words that I wanted to hear for a year. He said, oh, I always regretted cutting you. And I felt so good. I felt so good because I had felt like my life got crushed and everything was broken and falling apart. And he was there to, uh, to just come and, 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 and make, some part of me just felt completely justified for the year in rec league. So this is all redemption. This is the redemption story that we all love. This is the redemption story that all of our movies are about, right? The underdog who has life against him, comes back and wins the day. <clears throat> the guy who gets cut, the guy who loses everything. This is redemption at its finest. This is what every blockbuster film is all about. We love this kind of stuff. And it's exactly what Mark is showing us. Mark, who's the author here, is trying to show us from Jesus in this passage. He's showing us the story that is written on every single person's heart in here and probably written in some ways in your life and how your life is played out. But he doesn't give, a, give it to us in a moralistic sense. Like Mark isn't simply saying the lesson here, the lesson I want to sit down and teach my disciples is be humble. God will make you great get low, and God is going to make you awesome. Have a point of brokenness, and God is going to make everything turn out perfect. It's not just this moralistic lesson. He's showing us that true ambition, true greatness, true joy, which is what we all want, right? All of that comes when actually we become less and Jesus becomes more. When Jesus increases and we decrease, that's the point that's being painted here. And I, I want to unpack that throughout this passage, and I want to show us that. There's a difference between glory and greatness and serving and childlikeness. So if I ask you today to choose one of those paths, nobody, if, they were, if you were honest, Nobody in here would choose serving or childlikeness. We would all choose the path of glory, the path of greatness, because that is what we are trained. That's the path we're trained to take. We need to take that, passage, that, that, that path because that's everything that we've been told is the right way. I couldn't settle on being on the rec team. I had to on a special soccer team. You can't settle for service, for simplicity. It's more, better, faster glory. It's that path. And so let's see this in Mark. Specifically, I want to focus on verses 30 through 37. Don't 
tell Ronnie, he gave me way too many passages, so don't tell him that we couldn't get to all of it. Just go study it on your own and pretend I preached on it. But I'm going to focus on these seven verses, and uh, I think three points come out of this passage. The first one is that Jesus, they're all pointing to something. So Jesus is first pointing to his death and his resurrection. And then the second one is that the disciples are pointing to their own selfish pride. They don't know it yet, but they're pointing straight to it. And then the third point is that Jesus then turns them around and points the right path, the path of serving, the path of humility, the path of getting low. And so what it means to become last. So let's look at these three points. First point, verse 30 through 31, Jesus lays his purpose and redemption out as clear as he can. It doesn't get any clearer, does it? He says, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days later, he will rise. In our eyes, we read this and we're like, Jesus straight up told them that he was going to die and rise from the dead. What do they not understand about this? We see it as clear as day. They didn't, though, have deep enough categories to really understand what Jesus was getting at, what he was talking about. So at this point, Jesus and the disciples are heading back to Jerusalem. He was focusing on teaching the 12 disciples over teaching all the people. So he's just teaching them, small group. He's been teaching the crowds for a while, but he huddles them up, and he's getting more intimate in his language, and he wants the disciples to see something deeper than the crowds could understand. So he engages with them in a play on words. You see the play on words here? He says, son of man betrayed by men. Son of man betrayed by men. The, the, the world has become so against God that God has came as a man, and man treated the God-man as the worst enemy. Confusing, right? But Mark is showing us in this that God and man are in separate corners. They are against each other. They are opposed. They're different. They are on opposite sides. And that is why God had to become man so that he could bring man to himself. So there can be reconciliation here. It's a play on words that is being shown that disciples didn't quite get. We can't quite get as well. But hang on to that thought, because that's the point. This is what God is wanting to do. God is wanting to reconcile man to himself. That's where he starts. So hang on to that, because Jesus is about to bring the point very close to home as they the disciples, they walk right into the swamp of their pride, their, their own opposition to God. So it's not just like all of humanity is over here and God is over here. It's, he's wanting to say, now, you guys are over here. You guys are opposed to me. So look at verses 32 through 34. It says, but they did not understand the saying. Right? They just couldn't understand what he's talking about. And so they were, they were afraid to ask him. And it's strange that they're afraid to ask him. 
Is it their pride? Probably, right? They're like, I, I, I just, I can't. Can you, Peter, go ask him. You know, John, will you go talk to him? I don't understand what he's talking about. Maybe their pride. They're all afraid to ask him. So they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, that's probably, he's probably in Peter or John's house, one of the disciples' house, because they were from um, Capernaum. He asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Oh, they got busted. They're about to get busted here. Verse 34, they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. The disciples still didn't understand and they were afraid to ask Jesus about it. Why? I mean, were they at least able to admit at this point they just don't know? Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. Maybe they were admitting that. Maybe there was some humility in them. Some humility is fine. Is that my microphone? Or my, I'm not cussing. They're not bleeping me out. <laughs> um, but they didn't want, they didn't want to see, they, 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 want, they, wanted, they wanted Jesus to really help them understand what is going on. And so, it's like they broke away from Jesus as they're walking. They broke away from him. Jesus is walking on his own at some point, and so they're like, okay, guys, we got to talk. Who among us is going to be the greatest? They didn't Jesus to hear them arguing about this because deep down they all knew this was a bad debate. This was wrong. They shouldn't be having this conversation and they, they knew better. So let's stop there. Let's reflect on that for a minute. You see that they purposefully withdrew from Jesus. They withdrew from Jesus here to indulge their fantasy of power, personal power. Man, some of us do that. All of us do that. Listen, like some of you here withdraw from being near to Jesus, being near to Jesus to indulge your selfish passions, don't you? You feel this shame and this guilt of, I'm about to do something I know I shouldn't, so I am going to withdraw from Jesus, and I am going to engage in this activity, whatever it is, so that I can indulge whatever passion I have. So you go into hiding. You go into hiding from Jesus. So let me ask you, just here at this point, what is it that you don't want Jesus to know? Maybe you don't want him to see something or to hear something. Think about that right now. What is it in your life that you're seeing? Oh, there's a pattern here. When I want to engage in, maybe it's something mental where you're just thinking about wealth. You want to be rich. Maybe it's sexual. We withdraw from Jesus, don't we? That's what the disciples are doing. They're withdrawing. The reality is that Jesus, he steps back into the conversation. He steps back in. What were you all talking about? Anything good? He knows. I mean, he doesn't have Batman hearing. He's not like, I heard what you guys were talking about. 
He just knows the heart of man. I mean, he knows your heart right now. He knows the very things. He could stand in front of you and say, here's the things that you do to withdraw from me, to indulge in your own personal world, your own personal kingdom. He knows your heart in this. And he knows that these disciples, his disciples, they've withdrawn from him to indulge in their own world of pushing and shoving to establish themselves as right. And when he asks this simple question, he's lovingly bringing them back into his presence. He's trying to bring them back into his presence to unfold an incredible lesson here. Remember, he's getting really personal. But before we go there, look at the disciples and their posture. It says they just kept quiet. They kept quiet. You and I need to simply shut up before God. When we engage in our own battles for our own glory, when we engage in that, we probably need to go to Jesus and be quiet. Just be quiet before him, don't we? we? We need to go to him, be quiet, instead of going to him and making excuses. Well, what we actually meant, Lord, was, or what, I, I didn't, it was, it was my wife's fault that I looked at that. It's the stress I'm under. We make so many excuses, but the disciples, they knew that Jesus saw everything, and they just had to be quiet. Just be quiet before the Lord. Go to him. Actually, what's fascinating is that he, Jesus, goes to the disciples, and they be quiet. They just shut their mouths. It's in the quiet of the disciples. It's in the space of just being silent as regret is sinking in that Jesus sits down with them. See, he's taking the posture now of a teacher. Okay, guys, come to me. We're going to have a conversation. There's some things I want to teach you right now because they're vulnerable, they've been found out, they're raw, and they're quiet. So he says, gather around. We've got to talk about the way to greatness. You want to know what it means to be great? I'm going to teach you. Sit here. And he says this. If anyone wants to be first, he must become the, what's that word? Very last and the servant of who? All. Maybe the disciples at this point, expected a rebuke, like morons, you idiots, come on. I just talked about my death and resurrection, and you're talking about who's going to be great? Or maybe they expected Jesus just to say, well, mm, Peter, greatest. No, actually, you're going to betray me. Uh, John, you'll be the greatest. Maybe that's what they were expecting. Okay, this is it, guys. Jesus is going to tell us. Maybe he's going to point somebody. 
Because honor was really important to them, a position of importance, of status, all of that was very important in Near East culture. That was very important to them uh, as, as Jews. But Jesus doesn't go there. He finds a third way. He teaches them the way to be great is to actually become last. So this, the term for servant, when he talks about being servant of all, the term for servant is diaconus, which is where we get the term in the church, deacon or deaconess, which is the same term, a common term for waiter or waitress. I mean, what if we use that term in the church instead of deacon? If Scott said, hey, can all the waiters and waitresses stand up, <laughs> right, earlier in the, like he did earlier in the service, we might be a little offended. I'm not a waiter. I'm a leader. <laughs> I'm not a waitress. I am the, I'm, I'm, I'm the leader of hospitality. I'm not the waitress of hospitality. But that's what diaconus means. Jesus is telling them that they must serve, meet the needs of others, and get low if you expect to be great. Look, when Jesus says this, the disciples still aren't fully getting it. It's not clicking. Maybe it's not clicking fully with you yet. I mean, we can kind of get it mentally. We can kind of understand mentally what it means. Okay, if I want to be great, I must serve, but we can't get it in practice. We have, again, this entire system, this worldly system that we swim in that tells us that importance is the best. It is the way, and you must learn to claw your way to greatness. And if you think, this isn't me, I, I don't do this, I don't claw my way to greatness, Jesus brings perspective. The disciples probably aren't there. They're like, no, 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 not us. I mean, we want greatness, but we're not trying to fight our way to greatness. You know, whatever. Jesus brings them perspective. Because Jesus is talking about self-sacrifice for others. And do you see what he does? Just He's saying this just after he points to his own death and resurrection. You see that bookend? That's the first bookend of this teaching. The first bookend of this teaching on becoming last is pointing to the cross. And the other bookend that he's about to give us is pointing to a child. The cross and a child. Jesus isn't pointing out, pointing as he's giving this illustration of the child. He brings the child in front of him. Some commentators think that maybe it was like Peter's, one of the disciples' own kids, because they probably in one of the disciples' homes. So he's bringing one of their kids in front of him. And he isn't saying, look how innocent this child is. Look how pure the children are here. Live like this. He's not pointing to that. I mean, you and I know, I mean, if we're really honest, that children can be straight up demonic, right? Maybe it's just my children. I'm, I'm just like, what just came out of you is from hell. There's no doubt. I mean, kids can be this way. They're not all innocent and pure, uh, trust me. And so Jesus isn't calling us to be childlike in temperament 
or maturity, but he takes the child in front of them all to point out this child has no rights. They are fully dependent upon someone else. They have no social status. They are at the bottom of society when it comes to dependence. Are they worthless? Absolutely not. They are so worthy and worth of love, and, and, and they're made in his image. But he's saying they, are, they have no status. And he calls us to look at this child, to receive them and serve them. Them, these children. He says in verse 37, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. In other words, we're being asked to identify the bottom of society and treat them as a king or queen. Does that blow your mind a little bit? So there's a homeless camp by my house. Um, I may have talked about that last time I was here. And it's behind the church building as well. And this is a young couple that live back in this homeless camp. And it's a really sad situation. Um, they bring incredible amounts of drama into my life. Um, they bring it into our office at the church. It's crippling. The emotional maturity and the, their hard background, they're screaming at each other. They're saying things on Facebook that are just horrific. Cops are always being called. It's an endless cycle of public and inappropriate everything. Mess. So it, it takes everything in me to remember that I am called to serve them. I was literally writing this sermon illustration this weekend when a Facebook message pops up from, from the, 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 the husband. I don't know if they're even legally married, but they, they say they are. But he, he messaged me, can we get together and talk? And I'm just like, no, I don't have time. I can't. I, it's just like so emotionally draining. And I'm like, I'm about to use you as an illustration um, <laughs> about serving you for the last three years. I don't have any more in me. And the Lord was just like, this is exactly what I'm calling you to do. I don't, it's, it's diaconus. Lay down your life to serve them. I'm like, Lord, the, the needle hasn't turned. They're, they're, they're not growing. They're not changing. It's, I, I don't know how to do this. Who's God laying on your heart right now? Maybe as I gave that illustration, you're like, okay, that's totally this person. This person in my family, this coworker, this neighbor. Who is that person? If you're taking notes, write it down. Write it down, maybe circle it, think about it. Who are the marginalized in your life right now? And if you can't answer that question, Jesus is bringing you in and he's reminding you, you've got to find those people. Those are the people that I'm calling you to serve, to wait on, to care for. And when you find that person and welcome them into your world, you, he says, you are welcoming Jesus, me, Jesus saying, and you are welcoming my Father who sent me. He's like adding a layer onto that. He's not saying, you just, you're welcoming me, but he's saying, you are welcoming God, my Father. 
Hebrews 13 says, when you welcome the stranger, you may be entertaining angels. Does this make you really uncomfortable when you think about it in light of that person? If it makes you feel uncomfortable, you might finally start beginning it. You're you're starting to sink in because it's meant to make you feel uncomfortable. The disciples were feeling really uncomfortable, especially if that child that he's using as an illustration was Peter's child or somebody's child when he's saying, you have to serve this person, this kind of person who's at the bottom of society. He's telling you and I that the kingdom of God is for the lowly, the broken, the marginalized, society's outcasts. So Jesus continues his lesson in becoming last in verses 38 through 50. He continues that. That's what we're not going to get to. Study it this week. Study it and ask yourself, Am, am I becoming like my Savior Jesus, who served me? Who, again, going back to the beginning, was on the opposite end of God. Yet he became man to come after me, to serve me, to lay his life down for me. Let me, let me recap this section. So Jesus points the disciples to his death and his resurrection. The disciples then point to their own pride. Who's the greatest among us? Jesus sits down with the disciples and he tells them, he points them, well, here's the way to greatness. It's become the servant of all. But again, Here's the ultimate kicker in this passage. I would, it, would, it would crush me, it would crush our Lord if we left saying, okay, the point is a moral lesson. Be a servant to all. That is a good point. That is the point that Jesus is trying to make, but there's a bigger point in all of this that we have to get. He is showing us the way. He's showing us how to live, but more importantly, he's telling us the way that he himself is going to serve us. It's not about just about how we live with each other. He is telling us how he is going to serve us. They didn't see it yet. The disciples didn't see this yet, but Jesus is telling them that he would ultimately become the greatest servant of all by dying on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. He was saying to them, I will be the first in the kingdom because I am going to sacrifice my very life by going to the cross and dying for the forgiveness of your sins. I am going to go to the bottom, bottoms, to the depths to serve humanity, to serve you. You know, we are like the friends I was talking, my friends in the homeless camp. We're we're just filled with drama all the time. There's so much in our lives that we withdraw from God and we indulge in our own worlds, in our own kingdoms, in our own self. There's so much that we do. Jesus sees all of that. 
He sees the way you turn your back on him, the way you live your life for yourself. He sees all of that. And he says, I am going to come and I'm going to serve you today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day after that, and after that, and after that, and after that. Something that none of us here will ever be able to do, Jesus is going to do it. He's going to do it. So Jesus isn't just saying, do that. He's like saying, you can't do that. That is exactly why I came. That is exactly why I came. He's telling us, take my death and resurrection for you. Let me serve you. This is what Jesus is telling us. Let me serve you. I have laid my life down for you. Take Jesus Christ, the lowliest servant of all, and now the greatest in the kingdom, seated at the right hand of the Father. It's for you. This is why it's called good news. When we can taste the goodness of Jesus and his service to us, when we can taste that every single day, when we can know that, yeah, I, I, I screw up and I am a sinner and I mess things up, but Christ laid his life down for me, he served me, then that is when we can go and we can serve others and do that over and over and over again. So my call today isn't to serve better. It isn't for you to say, okay, I got to do more. I got to be, be-, be more humble. Those are good lessons. But it's to taste and see the goodness of Jesus Christ who took the lowly of the world, that's you and me, and gave his life for you so that you, you and I could rule and reign with Christ forever so that you and I could become great. So let him serve you today by making the life of service, the the death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and his resurrecting new life. Make that for you. Let him serve you. Let him wash your feet. Let those things be personal. Let them be for you today. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we know that in Christ we have been given the greatest of riches. We have been served so well, so deeply, so powerfully, so beautifully. And God, I pray for many of those here this morning who feel maybe unworthy to be served in such a way. God, would you just overwhelm them with a sense of your love forgiveness, grace, mercy, and care that you have come to serve them. And I pray for those of us in here who our hearts are so hard and we just think we don't need to be served by you. We can do Christianity on our own. We can, get, we can serve others. We can be moral enough. I pray that you would break us down And and as we prayed earlier, we, we just pray that you would even serve us in our hardness of heart for your glory. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen.